Hello and welcome to Clean Beauty Asia's podcast. I'm your host, Ali Rook. This interview series is a collection of conversations with people who operate, support and facilitate beauty brands doing business in Asia. My aim is to provide valuable insights and information to make your beauty brand's transition into Asia as smooth and successful as possible. This first series is dedicated to cross-border e-commerce in China, and I really hope you find it valuable. Thank you so much for listening. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of my interview series. Today, I'm very happy to have Nikki Wong, CEO of We Redbridge. Nikki has worked with international brands in the China market for many years. Her expertise lies in PR and marketing, helping brands navigate and build their China presence. We Redbridge has an impressive client lists, among which includes Aesop, Fenty, and Lime Crime. Nikki, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So today I wanted to focus on the PR landscape for niche beauty brands in China. Um, why it's so important for brands to understand the fundamental differences between China and the West, because I think that there are, you know, there are really fundamental differences between the two, two markets and the way of doing business overall, but from a PR perspective specifically. Uh, so I guess my first question is, obviously for Western beauty brands, PR is extremely important part of their mix um, and it's very separated from paid marketing. How do you think the relationship or how do you see the relationship between PR and marketing in China for niche beauty brands? How, how is that different from the West as well? Mm. Well, that's a really good question. Look, first of all, PR should be more integrated into overall marketing functions, particularly, I think, for when it comes to niche brands, because it's really uh, important that all of the communications program for these smaller startup brands can ultimately support driving to the ultimate business objectives. But I think, you know, when we are looking at sort of the difference between China and the West. Let's talk about the West first. For example, um, if you actually get your brands or products onto a talk show, you get some PR coverage in some magazines in terms of the most wanted list, for example, in Cosmo, as an example, um, you will see a, almost an instant boost in your uh, e-commerce channels. In China, it's a little bit different. It, you know, PR in general is more of a, marathon than a sting, uh, sort of it's it's a longer term process to drive sort of credibility of the brand to help amplify um, your marketing efforts, yes, but it's a lot more than that. So um, when it comes to sort of PR function in China, that long-term aspect is a little bit more pronounced in a sense where you really utilize PR as a, you know, brand community building exercise to um, recruit and to engage with a close circle of sort of brand friends over time. And these sort of friends of the brands can consist of your key media, key influencers, key opinion consumers, and in a lot of cases, celebrities as well. Mm -hmm. um, so I would say, you know, the value of sort of um, 
sort of integrating well the PR into your, your pay marketing initiatives for small brands makes sense. If you're a mega brand, obviously it makes sense to look at some of these functions more in silo and some, a lot of them do, but particularly for smaller brands, it's a very good balance to, to get in terms of sort of longer term as well versus kind of shorter term initiatives. Yeah, I think, I think that's a, the really interesting point is this lack of direct link, right? So it's not to say that PR, PR in China is still very important. It's something that brands really should look at. And I think because that link is so, is not as direct as in the West, a lot of brands sort of not, don't put enough attention on, on PR when they come into the China market. So a lot of brands will, and I'm talking, you know, niche beauty brands, because that's the, the majority of people look, listening to this today. Um, so when they are really looking, looking at the China market, obviously taking that long-term approach from the PR perspective, how do you guys really advise them to start that process in, because obviously there's, it's not, there's a cost associated as well, often in China, right? So the, there's this pay to play. It's a, it's a very pay to play market. Um, and some brands are not willing to go down that or some brands are very tentative around that so how do you navigate that with brands the brands that are really tentative around this pay to play piece yeah that's a good question I think look going back we're talking about first of all in terms of the PR initiative and how it supports the overall sort of marketing um, I think in China the reason why a lot of the brands are leaning towards sort of going at or not really tell the difference between marketing and PR or, or going heavily into marketing and not really understanding the value of PR is just because there are certain promotional tactics that can work very well in China in a very short period of time. So to that end, a lot of brands are very open to wanting to sort of invest in quick things that can get them quick wins without mm -hmm. necessarily wanting to really invest in the longer term. PR takes time. Um, mm -hmm. So to that end, obviously, um, when you are used to seeing that response um, from the market, from certain promotional tactics, you tend to want to go down yeah. that route further and you want to continue to push on that. The problem with that approach is a lot of times, you know, your target audience is not necessarily the long-term customers that you want to be recruiting. Uh, a lot of times, as soon as your promotional budget is pulled, then the sales basically ends as well. Mm -hmm. So to that end, it's actually important to also look at sort of the longer term brand equity building piece. And that's where sort of PR comes into play and it, it can actually be very effective. For a lot of uh, the brands that we look after, um, to be honest, it's a very, like I talked about the sort of striking a balance, it's, it's creating that balance program. Um, the, the way we would typically advise clients um, on how to construct that sort of communications program and the weighting mm -hmm. between PR and marketing is more around really has to go back to sort of the key objective for the market but also how long do they have right what's yes. the, how, how long is the runway how yeah. patient is their stakeholders or if they're mm -hmm. very honest themselves how how much time are they willing to invest in mm -hmm. this market before they see some tangible return so all of that and then also budget resource availability so yeah. all of that need to come into play in order for us to advise on the right direction but for a lot of the brands we also see because PR is uh, in a way more cost effective because you're not really using direct paid yeah. components. So when you're doing marketing promotions, you're obviously paying to 
reach a certain group of audience you otherwise would not be able to contact. But with PR, it's obviously more relationship building. So a lot of that work can be earned and, um, and organic. So to that end, obviously, some uh, brands will see this as a very effective and cost-effective way of um, going to market, which is correct. The only thing is you need to bear in mind it's a longer-term initiative. Long so mm. the, the, absolutely. So the result, again, it's relationship building and it takes time. And it's not really just about introducing your brand one time, but it's about ongoing engagement. So your audience obviously understand um, what, you, uh, what you stand for and understand your product features, understands your brand values and vision. Um, and you need to bear in mind, China is a huge market where millions of brands, thousands of brands um, are sort of targeting the same sort of group of consumers. Um, and from small to big, and everybody's investing a lot of money. So the consumer attention is very fragmented. Mm -hmm. So to that end, obviously, uh, for the PR engine to really work, there needs to be a, a timeline that's really attached to it. So yeah. uh, I think the worst thing for a brand launching to China is to, for example, put all the baskets into sort of PR and expect instant return. Obviously it doesn't work. And we've seen a lot of cases that way. So the brands sort of rushing into the market, not um, without a proper investment level and expecting to see magic. And NPR is not your magic bullet that way. Um, uh, there are there are certain marketing tactics that can be very effective in driving sales, but it doesn't necessarily build a longer term sort of uh, impact. So it's really about sort of uh, finding the right balance, balance based on what you have. Yeah, based on what you have to work with, essentially. Yeah, because I mean, that's something that I'm always talking to my clients about is this idea of activation versus marketing. So, you know, things like live streaming, things like um, on platform, uh, various marketing tactics on platform. I've, that to me is that's just the activation. But, you know, and, and as you said, you can create sales from that quickly um, and it can look very good in terms of, you know, success rates. But at the same time, yeah. people don't necessarily know why they're buying you, right? Especially with live streaming. They're, they're buying you because a live streamer is telling you to buy them. The live streamer might not even be giving the main points that you want to get across because you can't necessarily control what the live streamer is saying, right? So, so you get these brands that have had a success in their first year in terms of sales volumes. But actually, second year, it's almost impossible to anniversarize because, as to your point, you don't have a loyal customer because they don't actually love your brand for what you stand for or even the main benefits of your product. They just love you because they've heard about you and they've been told and you're a sort of hot, hot commodity from a, from a live streaming or a, a, a sort of T-mall in most cases ecosystem. Um, so that's why, you know, with my brands and anyone that I talk to, obviously the brand marketing side is very crucial. So both, the PR, but also that sort of the paid marketing piece in, in a brand sense. So I guess that brings me to sort of those two things with your clients, like the, because we, China is, there's a lot of pay to play in terms of the brand marketing piece. But then of course there is this separate ecosystem of seeding the right people and the PR. So how do you navigate those two things with your brands? Yeah, I think, look, um... Number one, I think we need to bear in mind China as a market have very distinct retail seasons. 
So there are very specific timelines that are very retail driven. And mm -hmm. in these, in during these dates or these weekends, um, we typically call them e-commerce festivals. Sometimes it's retail sort of festivals, but essentially these activities created largely actually, uh, I would say promoted by the government to stimulate sort of domestic consumption. Mm -hmm. So these, um, during these festivals, obviously you're expecting a lot of brands to be, to be doing a lot of promotions. So marketing activities, typically we will schedule them around these key points um, to make sure that you are getting that volume that you mm -hmm. want. And the, mm -hmm. but the way to look at these um, again, this is my personal opinion, and we do that for a, a, a lot of brands that actually have seen a lot of success, is to see them not as a sales tool, but more as a sampling tool to mm -hmm. make sure that you're getting your products to more audiences, more mm -hmm. consumers, and products on hand, right, essentially, mm -hmm. and get more feedback. Um, mm -hmm. You are almost using it to understand the market. And that way, it can be very effective for you mm -hmm. to move your products at lower sort of um, price and then get your products onto a lot more consumers' hands, get feedback and start to sort of see if you can you are able to retain a group of people, uh, sort of consumers that way. So marketing activities can, can be very effective in these sort of key um, occasions. Not to say beyond them, they're not necessary, but specifically for clients that have a specific budget concern we will probably yeah. place them this way and then right. using PR to obviously maintain and build that long-term sort of momentum so these long-term that would be really in, in, in uh, irrelevant to sort of the, the the sales occasions but really building ongoing dialogue making sure that your your brand or products are visible in the right channels and being talked about being endorsed by the right uh, credible sources and that sort of is an underlying sort of foundation building work that we would do. I think the other thing that, you know, it kind of falls into digital marketing as well is obviously sort of the creation of your always on digital channels. So because China consumers are largely sort of digital and actually within that digital landscape, it's basically predominantly mobile. So most of the content that we are creating for our clients actually are consumed on the mobile end, right? So that's the nature of the the, the, the China. So there are specific sort of apps that brands can utilize to create basically presence um, yeah. and to really tell a story. And each and every single of these apps from WeChat to Weibo to Red, I'm sure you, you guys will have heard of them before, mm -hmm. all sort of play a very specific role in reaching out to a specific audience with a specific sort of function. So to that end, obviously building up that sort of presence for brands is also very important. Um, it's, it's sort of probably more for us into sort of mark, a digital marketing side, but because a lot of the influencer content, media content that you will create will largely land on these platforms as well. Um, it's a, it's a, again, sort of the content output will be a mix of marketing initiatives in terms of content development, content publishing from the brand side, as well as sort of third-party content um, that you co-create with mm. your partners, um, mm. if that makes sense. So, yeah, so, so these are some of the typical kind of layers that were comprised of a typical marketing program that mm. has both short-term and long-term object, objectives in mind but ultimately yeah. working to building a initial sort of brand community in China and driving obviously ultimately positive business impact. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, then 
comparing back to comparing with the West, like quite concretely for people to to sort of understand. I mean, in the West, you can do quite a big seeding campaign where you don't pay anyone, right? Like you give you give out quite a lot of products and you don't pay anyone and then you get posts that really drive, as we've said, they, they, they drive sales. But even just that on that awareness objective, they do drive that awareness. In China, how would you say that's different? Because from my experience, obviously you can do some PR and you can get some free postings, but it's not easy to get free postings. Mm -hmm. um, so mm -hmm. I'm interested in your opinion on, on those and that real difference there. Because that's something I find brands have a real trouble getting their head around. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's a very pay-to-play market. Even we're talking about key opinion consumers will cost you investment uh, for them to produce content for you. So let around key opinion uh, sort of uh, leaders or uh, celebrities, for example. So to that end, yes, it's a very paid landscape. Um, I would say that again, to get content and if, for example, through a long-term engagement program, you are really able to recruit brand fans they are able to produce content for you. So co-creation of content on the organic and earned basis absolutely exists. Yet just from a volume standpoint, it's a fraction of what typically brands will approach this market, which is basically blanket blasting sort of your product across um, to every single influencer <laughs> there are possible. So when you are competing in that environment, the organic approach sometimes will seem uh, in comparison very, um, I would say probably not enough or just not gonna be quick enough in order to help you scale that sort of level of brand awareness in comparison to brands who have the investment to really get their words out. So to, uh, to, to, to that end, yes, the market very much, I would say, is, um, is more friendly to the big boys. Um, it's definitely a much more challenging market for niche brands, independent brands to crack just purely from a budget level standpoint. That doesn't mean that uh, without a, a, a kind of uh, massive advertising budget, you, are, you don't have anywhere to go. It's not, it's not to say that. I think the trick is to be very, very clear about the specific target audience you want to uh, reach in China. When we're talking about sort of the 1.4 billion population in China, they're not all your customers, right? So everybody's expecting China because of its size to instantly be able to respond to your product. It doesn't work that way. But probably consumers will require even more education and more engagement before they will become sort of loyal customers. So to that end, you know, trying to reach everyone and everywhere and try to speak to everyone is very expensive and mm -hmm. does require deep pockets. Um, and but if you are able to um, identify who you really want to target, um, then, then you can actually navigate that landscape in a smarter way, um, mm. combining sort of organic earned sort of relationship driven initiatives with some paid boosts and that can get you there quite quickly. Mm. Actually, actually, one of the examples we have is when we work with Lime Crime. So Lime, Lime Crime yeah. is a, um, vegan and cruelty-free sort of hair product. They also have makeup line as well, but hair mm. products was the main line that we wanted to promote. And because of the uniqueness and the bold kind of brand characteristics, we were very clear that we're going after a very creative class that are quite, that they're definitely not the mainstream. 
So every single sort of influences that we would engage with for Lime Crime would be musicians, would be, you know, even drag queens, would be, you know, photographers. So, so th these guys who actually themselves, obviously in the daily sort of life, you know, hair dye is very much part of their life and part of their identity, but through the telling of their stories and their individualism, their, um, their, their sort of courageous sort of uh, approach to life and, and their ability to express themselves really in a way help us also express the, the, the story of the brand and help us attract sort of more like-minded people. So these sort of initiatives were very effective in a way that um, we, we don't have a massive paid budget to work with, but we're essentially talking to people who really believe in the same thing. And it's very powerful when you have shared value. So yeah. when your customers and you have the share value, it, it becomes really, really powerful. And, um, and this goes, you know, the same as when we talk to media partners with online crimes. Again, we select individuals, reporters, editors who actually really embody that spirit so that they really buy into it. So through sort of a very short kind of engagement program, we're able to create trends and put sort of hair dye as top kind of hairstyle trends um, during that campaign period and get onto 80% of our top media from Vogue to Bazaar to Cosmo, for example. Okay. So, okay. so, so, so again, I wouldn't say, you know, that it's all over if I don't have that level of budget, but yeah. it's a matter of being really clear and being very honest about who do you want to target and then slowly sort of expand your, 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 your reach that way. It's probably yeah. the, 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 the smarter way to go about if you are a smaller kind of smaller brand, brand starting up. Yeah, and, and I totally echo that. Like I always, with, with brands, I'm always talking about focus, both in terms of target audience and in terms of messaging. So I think so many brands fall into this trap of having too many messages. And because of the, the crowded market, the competition, to get any cut through, you need to be saying one thing over and over and like, you know, basically one thing over and over again in Absolutely. different ways. And I think that's very difficult for Western brands because they're not used to that. They're used to being able to have more of a, um, a varied dialogue with consumers and, and targeting different types of consumers, and especially brands that have larger assortments because they've got something for this consumer and something for this consumer. And in China, you just gotta, I mean, you must do this as well. It's like you're reining them back in. You go, no, 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 let's just focus. Um, so I, I, I feel I totally agree. And, and you know, from a, an observant, observer perspective, I've seen Lime Crime and I, I think your strategy with them has been fantastic. I think they've really got some cut through that um, other brands really struggle with it. And I'm sure that is down to, as you said, this real focus on the target consumer. Um, Absolutely. And, it's very also, funny actually recently. Oh, sorry, I cut you no, off. No, 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 go. No, recently we were talking with a luxury brand who didn't feel sort of they are growing fast, fast enough and wanted to really sort of scale that presence. And when we sort of go down and, and it's a little bit of a brand awareness issue. They've been in China for a very long time, but they sort of, again, sort of brand awareness is not there. They have a very sort of core VIP customers but find it hard to break out of that sort of mm. core circle. And, um, and when we did the internal stakeholder interview to understand sort of where, you know, everybody internally wanted to drive the brand, when you ask them how to describe the brand to a Chinese audience again every single stakeholder give us a different answer um, when you put them together it's a beautiful brand story that you can write two pages on 
But again, when you talk to a very sort of uh, already overwhelmed market, mm -hmm. uh, when consumers are being approached by all brands, they just don't have the attention span to learn your brand story word by word. So to that end, I totally agree with what you're saying. Just really need to stay focused and single minded. Okay. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and, you know, that target audience piece is just so crucial. And I think some brands struggle with that more than others because uh, they just have this, you know, if the brand is very sort of has a really strong image like Lime Crime, then it's probably easier to draw them into, into that. But with other brands that have a much more sort of generalist image I suppose or appealing to more of the majority or the more sort of normal whatever whatever that normal is then they have real trouble because they don't do it in the west they don't have mm. they have a I target a 20 to 30 female affluent yeah person. that's that's <laughs> the worst yeah that's that's, <laughs> yeah there's that so many be... of those in China <laughs> absolutely absolutely um so yeah absolutely I agree with you and sometimes if you for example, if you're talking about um, the brands wanting to have a much broader appeal, it's okay as well. Sometimes the clue lies in the product feature, for example, um, that again, sort of particularly beauty consumers in China are very uh, pragmatic. So they want, yeah. they need, the products need to work for them. Yeah, That's sort of, you know, before all of the brand stories that we want to create, the products, number one, need to work for them. And mm -hmm. they are very good at producing reviews uh, on their own. So peer-to-peer -peer review is really top, top, top uh, on the ranking in terms of consideration mm -hmm. for purchase. So, so sometimes, um, you know, that's the clue lies within the product. Maybe it's a feature that your Western sort of audience don't really necessarily care about, but it could mm -hmm. be a very strong kind of pull for the Chinese audiences. So again, sort of your PR team will be very good at sort of creating and amplifying some of these stories and making sure that again, you double down on those messagings um, to, to, to get to sort of that, uh, the, the right audience as quickly as possible. Yeah, and I think with that, that's also a discovery process for brands as they're coming in. They've got to really look at the market to work out what those key products products and product features within that are because as you alluded to it can be very different um, from their global hero products or the global assortment and then the other thing which links us back to this whole focus piece is that you know Chinese consumers the ones that we're normally talking to especially skincare consumers are very sophisticated they know a lot about um, it, you know, ingredients and things like that. So the way that brands talk to them needs to be very specific, you know, and, and as you said, like yeah. to target people, you, you need to be, you're not just talking about anti-aging here. You've got to be talking about that ingredient is helping my, you know, that anti-aging thing for a set, for, for a specific reason, right? Like there's, there's, Absolutely. I think that just a level of focus and detail and then sticking to it is the problem Absolutely. that I see with most brands um in the china market yeah yeah absolutely spot on so i guess to end what are some of your top tips and sort of tactics that are working now because you know as we all know china changes you know so much every day and there are so many things that that, that worked a year ago that don't work so well now so right now in terms of your sort of clients and, and what you're seeing in the market what sort of pr or marketing tips do you do you think brands should know about? Mm, that's a million dollar question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I think number one, going back to the objective, 
partnership, again, really understanding sort of what you're working towards and what sort of timeline, budget, sort of resources you have, obviously. Um, I think you've actually really already sort of hinted the, the nature of the market. To me is that the China market is a market where you really cannot stand still and you, you need to have that sort of uh, bonus and, and that willing to sort of uh, try new things. I think there are a lot that international brands can learn from local Chinese brands in terms yeah. of how they operate and how they really understand the consumer market um, and how they grasp the changing consumer uh, expectation and behavior um, and really able to adapt quickly. We're not saying that it, you, you know, as sort of Western brands with a very sort of clear DNA, you need to sort of go through the lens of um, replicating how local brands react to market, but it, it gives you a good um, reference to how games are played in China and, and how these models can be very successful. Um, so, so I would say number one, actually, uh, in addition to understanding your overall sort of objective and resources and timeline is to um, actually be a little bit bold and actually be daring to try out new things and try out new channels and understand really the consumer behavior. Um, the, the the market is growing really fast, like some of the changes that we've seen in the last five years across media landscape to consumer expectations is um, just uh, not like anywhere you've, you've seen it from anywhere else and it's really exponential in terms of the change. Mm -hmm. So to that end, obviously, understanding that the market evolves all the time, but at the same time, and that sort of takes me to the third point is being very single-minded in terms of focus of yeah. who you want to talk to and what you really want to drive. So I would say sort of in terms of who you want to talk to, you really want to focus on the format and content and how you engage with them. You actually are, uh, you should actually feel very free to explore different options and to be very daring and to do crossovers and to experiment and have fun with your consumers and Chinese consumers really enjoying being engaged in an authentic way. And they can tell the difference between, you know, commercial sort of um, pushes versus a brand that just generally are interested in learning more from their customers and, and creating sort of a uh, sort of shared value together. Mm. So, so I guess I'm like, I'm saying one, two, three, but it's really mm. sort of we're understanding objectives to being very single-minded and focused in terms of who you want to talk to and what you want to tell them about. And third, actually be bold and daring um, in terms of um, your format and type of engagement that you will want to create. Um, just because from a platform standpoint, there are so many possibilities in this market and you know, there's no reason not to experiment. Yes, absolutely. I think that's great. That's great advice and very succinct. I think brands can really take away those three things. And, um, you know, it's a, it's, it's a tricky market and it's not getting any easier. I think I'm, I'm definitely seeing that with the brands that are coming in. But at the same time, there are some more opportunities you know alluded to different platforms there's things that that are working better than other platforms and it's it that experimentation piece aside from the focus and and really um the planning that experimentation piece and the continue to have a partner you know like you guys that can really help them experiment because most of these brands they're on the other side of the world right so they need they need that that hand holding and that partner that really understands those 
the forefront of what's happening. So um, I think that's that's Thank great. you for the endorsement at the end. <laughs> no worries, no worries, no worries. Thank you so much, Nikki. It was really great to have you here and hear about you know your perspective on, on what brands should think about in terms of PR and marketing. And I will put all your details below. So if anyone wants to get in touch, they can they can do that. Thank you so much. Thank you for inviting me. It's been great fun. Thanks, Ali. Thank you so much for joining me in this episode of Clean Beauty Asia, the podcast with me, Ali Rook. I hope you found the content useful with tips and tricks and takeaways that can really help you move your China journey forward. I always like to hear from my listeners, so please join me on LinkedIn, Ali Rook, or Instagram, Clean Beauty Asia, and I'll be very happy to talk to you more. Thanks again for listening. See you next week.